Well, as you probably know, this year, one of our themes is courageous faith. Courageous faith. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at people from the Bible who had courageous faith. People from the Bible who had a deep trust in God. And so today, as you've heard, we're starting with Abraham or Abram. And he's a great place to start because he's a man of deep faith. In fact, around the world today, 2.6 billion Christians, 1.6 billion Muslims, and 14 million Jews all claim a connection with this man, Abraham. That's a lot of people. But here's the thing. Abraham's faith actually isn't always that impressive. Abraham's faith has its ups and then its downs. It's ups and then it's downs. It reminds me of a theme park ride I went on in Dreamworld. Has anyone here been on the claw at Dreamworld? A few, a few nods. Not too many daredevils here. Basically, how it works is it's, you're on a spinning disc. It's rotating 360 degrees. And that's attached to this long swing, which catapults you nine stories into the sky. And then you swing back down to the other side and swing back down, up, down, up and down. Absolutely terrifying. And I remember I was on this ride with Christine and uh, she kept loving it and kept making us go on it over and over again. And I was trying to impress her and act tough. Little did she realize that I was wetting my pants on this ride. (laughs) This ride reminds me of Abraham's faith. Ups and then downs. Ups and then downs. And perhaps maybe you, with your faith, you sometimes feel a bit like that. You know that sometimes your faith has its ups and then other times it has its downs. Well, the good thing is, as we're going to see, Abraham, it's not actually about him. It's about God. The one Abraham has faith in, the God who does the impossible. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at our passage, Genesis chapter 15. Heavenly Father, you are the God who does the impossible. And so we pray now that you would help us to learn to grow, and trust you more with everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever been promised something that seemed too good to be true? Have you been promised something that seemed too good to be true? I got an email a few weeks ago by someone I'd never met before. Her name was Mary, and she's from London. And she contacted me to tell me that she only had a few weeks left to live. And out of everyone in the world, she had chosen me to give her $10 million. All I had to do, get this, all I had to do was give her my bank details and my PIN number, and that $10 million would be mine. Maybe you've got an email like that before. It's often from a Nigerian prince. And you get that email, and you, immediately you read it, and you go, this is just too good to be true. Too good. I can't believe this. Abraham, in Genesis 15, he was having a too-good-to-be-true moment. See, in Genesis 12, right before this, God had made Abraham some incredible promises. Incredible promises. He'd asked Abraham to leave everything, his family, friends, and he did it. That's courageous faith. He left everything. And then God promised him a land. He promised him blessings. And he promised him that he would be the father of a great nation. Now, 
to be the father of a great nation, you have to have not just one kid. You have to have children who have children who have children who have children. That's how you become a father of a great nation. Now, Abraham, he got those promises, but in our passage here, Genesis 15, 10 years had passed. 10 long years Abraham had been waiting. And you know how many kids he had? None. None. And so he starts to go, this seems too good to be true, God. Too good to be true. Look in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 15, if you haven't got it open. Genesis chapter 15, verse 2. Let's look at Abraham's too good to be true moment. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abraham says to God, hey, God, remember 10 years ago, you promised me a child? Well, I'm not getting any younger. I'm 85. And how many 85-year-olds do you see these days having children? It just doesn't happen, God. When are you going to give me this promise? How how do I know what's going to happen? And so he doubts. He doubts. And you know what he does? He doubts so much that he decides to take things into his own hands. And so he gets his slave, Eliezer. Now, back then, your heir would be your oldest son. But Abraham says, well, it doesn't seem like God's going to give me an oldest son. So I'm going to make my slave, Eliezer, my heir. He'll get everything when I die. He'll look after me because it doesn't seem like God's going to come through on this promise. He's doubting. I know myself, there's plenty of times in my life where I doubt And so I take things into my own hands, try and do things my own way. Maybe you've had moments like that where you have questions. You question God's promises. You you doubt them. God, I know you say you love me, but I've had the most awful 2018. Do Do you really care? God, I know you promise that you hear my prayers, but... Do you really? God, I, I know that you've promised Jesus is coming back, but how can I be sure? We all have those doubts, don't we? We all have those questions. Every Christian does. But you know what's really cool? God doesn't tell Abraham off for the doubts. Did you notice that? He doesn't go, Abraham, how dare you question me? How dare you doubt me? No, no, no. See, it's not about our faith being perfect, never having any doubts, never having any questions. What matters is that our faith is in a God who is 100% trustworthy. Not about our faith never having questions, never doubts. It's about whether our faith is in a God who is 100% trustworthy. There's a story, you may have heard this illustration before. Imagine two people sitting on a plane, two passengers. The first passenger is freaking out. They're afraid of flying. The plane's taking off and they're worried, or has the pilot done the safety checks? A bit of turbulence comes. They're worried whether the plane's going to stay together. The whole flight, they're just freaking out, worried. But the second passenger, 
well, they're totally relaxed. They've already reclined their seat. So far back, they're annoying the passenger behind them. They've started the in-flight entertainment. They're relaxing, kicking back. Now, out of those two passengers, which one arrives at the destination first? They both do. Both passengers arrive at the same time because both of them had the faith to get on that plane. Both of them had the faith and the trust to get on that plane, and it was the plane that got them to the destination. You see, it's like that with God and our doubts. There will be doubts. There will be questions. But what matters is that our faith is in a God who is trustworthy, and we've followed him and chosen to live for him. He is trustworthy. It's okay to have doubts. And questions. When they come, can I encourage you? Talk to, talk to me, talk to James, talk to your connect group leaders, talk to someone. Come to God with your questions. Come to God with your doubts. But know that it's okay. And so there's Abraham. He's there before God going, God, how do I know? How, how can I be sure these promises are really going to happen? Well, How does God respond? Look down in your Bibles, verse 4. Genesis 15, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God says to Abraham, Abraham, what are you doing making Eliezer your slave, your heir? I've told you I'm going to give you a son. It's really going to happen. Trust me. And then look what he does. I love this verse. Verse 5. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. I was down the south coast last week on the beach. And, you know, when you're away from the city lights, you look up at the sky, you can just see so many stars. Now, just imagine Abraham, thousands of years before light pollution of electricity and buildings. He's he's there in the Middle East, in the desert, standing up there looking at the sky. And God's saying to him, Abraham, see all those stars? That's how many kids you're going to have. That's how many descendants you're going to have. I promised you you're going to be the father of a great nation. Trust me. Trust me. Oh, and by the way, Abraham, I made all these stars, just in case you've forgotten. Trust me, I can do it. You know what? God did come through on those promises. He did. Abraham became the father of the nation of Israel. But you know, it gets even cooler. Because if you trace Abraham's family tree, there's a man called Jesus. One of Abraham's descendants was Jesus. And if you're in this room and you trust Jesus, you are one of those stars. If you trust Jesus in this room, the Bible says you are one of Abraham's descendants. Maybe not physically by blood, but spiritually. Look up on the screen. This is Paul writing in Galatians 3. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. 
since you were all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. That's you if you're a Christian. You were one of those stars. Thousands of years ago, God was thinking of you and how he could save you through Jesus. Isn't that incredible? When I, I look at my family tree, my, my family has a family tree all written out. It can trace me back to a convict. Explains a lot about my family, I think. But I know, spiritually, I go back to Abraham. God was thinking of me when he made those promises. And so there's Abraham standing under the stars and God saying, trust me. And whoever you are in this room this afternoon, I don't know many of you yet. And even you don't know what 2019 holds in store. None of us really do. But God's saying to us all this afternoon, no matter who you are, no matter what situation we face, trust me. Trust me. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God who made the stars in the sky. Trust me. Well, we're going to skip verse 6 for now and come back to it. Look at verse 7. Because Abraham hasn't learned his lesson. I love it. He starts to doubt again. He starts to have questions again. Look at verse 7. This time, he's doubting, not about the people but about the promise of a land because he'd been promised a land and he doubts about that. Look at verse seven. God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? There he is again, Abraham's doubting. How do I know God? How do I know I'm going to get the land? How can I be sure? How can I trust you? And then God asked him to do the weirdest thing. Did you notice it when it was read? It's super weird. Look at it in verse 9. The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, But Abram drove them away. Skip down to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. God asked Abraham to do the weirdest thing, to get all these animals, cut them in half and lay them in two lines. What's he doing? Well, back then, that was the way you made a contract or a covenant or a treaty. I moved into the Lower North Shore recently, Christine and I. We're renting a house in Neutral Bay. We love it. It's a beautiful place. We can see why everyone loves it here on this side of the harbour. It's so nice. And one of the things we had to do was sign a tenancy agreement, sign a contract. And so on that contract, it's got all the things I'm expected to do and the consequences if I don't do it and I have to sign my name. And then it's got all the things my landlord is expected to do and the consequences if he doesn't do it. And he's signed his name. The real estate agent signed their name. Both signatures are there. Well, that's what's going on here. It's just, you know, an old version of it, a very old version of it. You'd cut these animals in half 
And instead of both signing your name, both members of, both signers would walk between the animals. And that's how you'd make a covenant, a promise, a contract. Except, did you notice what happens here? Abraham doesn't walk through. Abraham doesn't sign his name. Only God signs his name. Only God, in the form of a smoking firepot, passes through the animals. Why? Why? Well, God's saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the promise happen. Not you, Abraham. I don't need you. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for you to have children when you're 85. I'll do it. I'm the God of the impossible. It's impossible for you to inherit this land on your own. I'll do it. I'm the God who does the impossible. Nothing is impossible for me. And if I don't do it, may I be like one of these dead animals. I'm ready to sacrifice everything. And so he walks through. Nothing is impossible for him. Again, God's saying, trust me, trust me. Well, let's jump back to verse 6. What does Abraham do? It's one of the most famous verses, I think, in the whole of the Old Testament. Verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believes. He doesn't believe that God exists. I mean, he does. He does believe that God exists, but it's more than that. He trusts the promises of God. He has faith in God's promises and realizes what is impossible for him is totally possible for the God of the universe. And what does God do? God declares him to be righteous. Righteous. That word righteous basically means to be right with God. To be in a right relationship with God. God declares that Abraham has responded correctly. He's trusted him and he's, his sins are forgiven. He's one of God's people. He's righteous. He doesn't tell Abraham to work for his righteousness, to go and be a good person. No. God just declares him righteous. All Abraham does is trusts, is believes. Well, centuries later, Paul is thinking about this passage. He's reflecting on it. And look what he writes in Romans chapter 4. You might want to flick there in your Bibles. It was our second reading. Romans chapter 4, or it's going to be up on the screens. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Paul says this, reflecting on this story. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, 
being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. I love that. Abraham's there and he looks in, and he realizes his body is as good as dead. He, he can't have children on his own. But see verse 21, that's the perfect definition of faith. He was fully persuaded that God could do what he had promised. Fully persuaded that God could do the impossible. That's faith. Is that you? Are you fully persuaded God can do what he's promised? What's God promised to us? Has he promised us children when we hit age 85? Probably not. Has he promised us a land to inherit? Probably not. What's the promise to us? It's a promise to deal with our deepest problem, our deepest need, a need that's actually impossible for us to fill on our own. It's our problem of sin. Every single one of us has rebelled against God, sinned against the creator of the universe. And on our own, it's actually impossible for us to deal with that problem. No matter how good we try and live, we, we can't oppress him. Just like for Abraham, it was impossible for him to have a kid on his own. It's impossible for us to deal with that issue. But God is the God of the impossible, isn't he? Isn't he? The God of the impossible. And so he promises us Jesus. Look at what Paul says, the very next verses. Verse 22. The words it was credited to him were not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. I love that. Verse 23. Paul's reading Genesis 15 from hundreds of years prior. And he goes, hey, those words weren't just written for the readers back then. They're written for the readers today. They're written for the Kirribilli 330 congregation to remind us it's the same promise. It's not about what we do. It's about trusting God. Trusting God who sent Jesus to die for us, who rose again from the dead. And if we trust Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're made righteous. We're made part of God's people. It's impossible for us to do that on our own, but all we do is have faith. That means we can't be proud as Christians. We cannot be proud because we didn't earn our forgiveness it's just by faith. And it gives us a deep assurance and security. Because if we stuff up, God's never going to fail us. Because we're saved by what he has done. Not by what we do. That's the promise God's holding out to us all. If we trust him. If we trust him. So as you face 2019, who knows what is facing us? Maybe you're thinking, God, how could, how could my friend ever come to church? It just seems impossible. 
Well, he's the God of the impossible. Trust him. Maybe you're thinking, God, how could you ever save thousands of people in the lower North Shore? Trust him. Or maybe this afternoon, God's calling you to trust him for the very first time. To stop resting on yourself, trying to earn God's approval, and to trust God and have faith in his son. Trust him. Tonight, I want to give you some homework. Go outside, stand underneath the stars. If you can see any stars this close to the city. And look up. And just remember, thousands of years ago, God showed Abraham in his doubting moments that he is trustworthy. And he also had a plan back then to save you. And he's calling us all this year. Trust me. I am the God of the impossible. Let's pray.